most of the returns in the venture capital asset class are actually generated in those last two years of that really, really frothy market. If you're not in the game in 2019, 2020, and maybe even 2021, you're not capturing those returns. I'm Scott McGrew. Welcome to Sand Hill Road. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This week, Rajiv Dom, partner at Sapphire Ventures. And if you go back in his work history far enough, employee at McDonald's. It was sophomore year of high school, and my mom was like, I don't want you just lazing around all summer. Yeah, I had some summer school, and I don't want you just riding your bikes with your friends. Like, go work, do something. So I spent a a couple of months in the summer serving fries. Uh, What'd you learn about working at McDonald's? I mean, they must have taught you something. How hard it is to work, how hard it is to earn any type of normal money. You know, the value of money, the value of work, the value of actually— doing sort of work with your hands and being on your feet. I'll tell you, I, I'm not cut out for it. I'm no good at that. I'm much better behind a computer, but I have such respect when I see people that actually work with their hands, they're on their feet. That is just, that is just brutal. Rajiv and I sat down to talk about venture investing at Sapphire's headquarters in downtown Menlo Park, California, in an office overlooking the local train station. I bring that up because you'll hear the train pass by from time to time. Sapphire, our mantra is to invest in and partner with companies of consequence. What does that mean? That means to us, companies that can be sort of enduring, category-defining, category-leading companies, whether that's financial technology businesses or data center infrastructure businesses or a software application business, that's all we're looking for. Hopefully, as far as software nerds go, these will be household names. They're not the, the maybe sexy next gen generation of Snapchat. They're mostly B2B software businesses, but that's what we love and we do. And so everything we look at is through the general mission and framework of that company's a consequence. And then below that, of course, we have our diligence and our investment considerations. Are there companies that you did invest in that you wish you hadn't? You don't have to name them, but I would like to know the lessons learned. Yes. Um, there are, although there's a philosophical point is if I had never invested in them, I maybe never would have learned those lessons. That's a good point. Right. And 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 at some point you'll always have to learn a lesson. I think I think if you ask most venture capitalists, 2021 was a particularly frothy year. It was the last year of this bull market in the venture ecosystem and in the broader stock market, although there's a nice bounce back this year. And so a lot of the investments that folks made in that year, particularly the second half of the year, 
um, were probably not going to be the best investments. Um, and, and so the lessons learned, I could tell myself that there are lessons learned, but I think if 10 years from now, that same situation happened, who's to say that the same individuals may not sort of succumb to the money that's being created and the wealth that's being created and everything moving up and to the right and therefore make riskier investments at higher valuations once again. But I do tell myself that now going through that to be measured uh, on every single investment decision, regardless of the environment. But that's all you can do is tell yourself. When you look at the the industry, the tech industry, the venture capital industry, M&A, there, there is a certain, you know, emperor's new clothes about some of this. Uh, as a young reporter, yes. I can remember thinking to myself, uh, oh, HP's buying Compaq at a, at a time in which, you know, the demand for PCs is falling and, and mobile is, is jumping. Or uh, eBay uh, bought Skype, and I was mystified, but I thought to myself, well, you know, I'm not a, a CEO. I don't know these things. And, of course, these turned out to be giant mistakes. Um, there's lots of them. You took the words out of my mouth, the emperor has no clothes, in that I don't want to name the firms, but some of the largest hedge funds on the planet, some of the largest venture capital firms right here on Sand Hill Road with individuals that lead these firms that have incredible names, they were making investments at a breakneck pace in 2021, right? And it's easy to look at that and say, well, if they're doing it, there must be something there. Or if they're right. investing in this particular crypto company, it must be something there. Or if they're already on the cap table. And, and I think looking back is when you have that sneaking suspicion, sort of listen to your gut and instinct because really in those times, no one really knows what the hell they're doing, to be honest. No one does. No one's that much smarter than the next person in our business, I've realized, when it's really speculative in a lot of ways. Even if you're at the growth stage, so much has to go right in venture capital for you to actually generate an outsized return that everyone is sort of around the same level. There, there are no heroes and there are no you know, fallen heroes, right, either. We're all kind of in the, in the middle is what I've learned. One of the new, if not the new hotness is AI. Yeah. Uh, and it seems to be a revolutionary sort of thing, but everyone keeps talking about it. And I do sort of wonder at some point, Silicon Valley goes through cycles, the shared economy, the subscription economy, Cloud, fintech, alternative foods, big data, internet of things, crypto. And we all look back at most of those and think, oh, that was got really frothy really fast. Uh, maybe AI is just one of those things too. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I, I do think that the advancements in AI as a technology will lead to some pretty incredible set of applications I think, though, as we sit here in 2023, relative to the level of investment and discussion that's happening, uh, there, there, it is disproportionate. The enterprise traction, if you really look at true big enterprises using AI in earnest, whether it's for their internal operations or for customer-facing applications, if they're a technology company, it is, it is quite nascent still. Um, and so the pace of the investment relative to where the technology is today in the hands of actually solving real customer pain points is a bit, a, a bit out of whack, uh, frankly. And we try to just, we at Sapphire try not to get too um, swept up even in that fray, especially learning the lessons just from just two years ago. 
uh, and really try to measure, even if it's an AI company. By the way, AI is a technology. There's also, I mean, For us, a company needs to have a product that solves a problem. If AI is a, a lever yes. to that, that's okay. It's We still need to take it through our re- regular diligence process versus just investing because it's an AI company. I actually think what's happening is is, is something different, which is a which is a bit more psychological in that there's almost right now it's a tale of two cities. There's the general market where I think in Q1 of 2023, just three months ago was probably the hardest quarter for private software startups I've seen in a dozen years of investing. And then you juxtapose that with all the gen AI hype and, and companies sort of investing in that. And it, it, it's kind of interesting, right? That that it, there's so much pain on one side, and yet it's it's almost like a microcosm of Silicon Valley and entrepreneur that you have to have this irrational exuberance that things will work out, and so let's invest in this thing. The same token, listen, we are massive believers in the long term potential. Um, I'm I'm signed a term sheet right now that's using. AI in the fraud and financial crime category for large financial institutions. Uh, But we're just trying to be measured. We have a billion dollars we announced that we allocated that we're committing to looking at companies that are really leveraging this in a a specific application or a way that's solving deep customer pain points. And we're looking at companies all the time. But again, we're we're just taking it through our same guiding principles that we'll make any investment in. I've heard that before from from good investors that you you have to have – the problem and the solution. Yeah. And then I don't really care how you've solved that solution. It's probably AI. But that for those startups that are looking for a purpose, you always need to find the problem, the pain point, and the way that you're going to ease that pain point. That's exactly right. Solving a problem, making sure it's a mission-critical problem where the customers are saying great things. But then there's a third step, Scott. It's it's, is that a defensible manner in which you've solved it? Is your product defensible? There's a lot of businesses out there that are leveraging the underlying large language model, and, and they're maybe making it slightly more accessible to the enterprise, or maybe it doesn't hallucinate as much because they put some guardrails around it, or um, the workflow is slightly better than just using the raw open AI, whatever they have. But what's to say me and you won't start a business and do that same thing? Right, and so it needs to be defensible and enduring, as well as solving the pain point, and and that's where we're still sort of in the early innings of a lot of those businesses. Billion dollars is a lot of money. Yeah, I, I actually think in the long run that could be understated, mm. honestly, in terms of the potential impact. I really do. Um, so again, it's that that famous quote, right? That in the short run, in the short term, things are sort of overestimated uh, in terms of the impact, but in the long run technology platform shifts are underestimated. This could be one of those shifts for sure. There have been new restrictions laid down by Washington as far as investment uh, in China, particularly in AI. Does that affect you at all? No, you know, we haven't been uh, investing in China. Our, at, at Sapphire, our core geographies that we invest in are, again, category leading B2B software companies at the expansion to growth stage in, in the US, North America really, Europe and Israel. Those are our core geographies that we sort of actively invest in. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. 
So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. We were talking earlier about cycles. Uh, Rory O'Driscoll over at Scale Ventures, I quote him often because... He was the first person who really said out loud, you know, a lot of my success in ventures, I got in at the right moment. <laughs> yes. Actually, I, I'll put it a different way. It's not just the right moment. It's um, I was reading what something Bill Gurley said, one of the best investors of all time, as you know, from sure. Benchmark Capital. He had gone off and spoken to some of the, 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 the most successful and longest standing uh, limited partners in the business. And what they revealed was that most of the returns in the venture capital asset class are actually generated in those last two years of that really, really frothy market. So as I just dismissed 2021 for being a very hard year, if you're not in the game in 2019, 2020, and maybe even 2021, you're not capturing those returns. And that's what makes the venture capital asset class as a whole actually have outsized IRRs to private equity and growth equity. It's because of those last two years. Now, the trick is, do you have the discipline, the policies to sell and give your money back to the limited partners, what we call as DPI, right? And, and do you have that ability to sell? Because at that moment, it looks like everything's going up in the right. Your company just went public. Why don't we just hold this? It's appreciating by 30% every year. And so that's the key is that if you sell, then you can generate these massive windfall and returns and even even with the fact that your next vintage will be will probably be challenged given the market will go down after that. And so you're exactly right. Venture capital is this very interesting beast in that way. You rather anticipated my next question is that you've worked in private equity and now yeah. in venture. Kind of compare and contrast those? Well, I, I honestly, it feels like two different worlds. It feels like two different worlds. Um, private equity is, what are the dimensions that we should even uh, um, compare this? Private equity is is a lot more about financial rigor, financial engineering, right? How do you layer debt on a company? How do you sort of create value through either cost cuts or through acquisitions or roll-ups uh, in order to drive some incremental revenue growth, but a lot of time it's EBITDA and profitability expansion as well as capital structure transformation. Venture capital is finding a growth market in a growth company 
And that's how you generate your return is through growth, not through changing the capital structure or through more profitability. And so it's very different. The second big difference is the governance. I mean, in private equity, you own the company. And so um, the power and leeway that gives you to make those operational changes are very different than in venture capital, where you own 5, 10, 20, 30% of the company, but you don't have a majority of the company. You have to learn how to work with your other board members, with the entrepreneur or the CEO and the management team to affect change. It's incredibly hard to do that. And I think people are learning that now when change needs to be affected in major ways since the middle or early last year till now, this morning having five conversations with different CEOs in my portfolio, right? It's just, it's very, very, it's much more difficult from that perspective as well. What, when you have those conversations with CEOs, just a, a broad theme, what theme keeps coming up? Um, that the business is challenged. Uh, how much of that challenge is execution related versus macro related, the environment. Yeah. The environment. Uh, and as a result of the answer to that question, I would argue maybe it doesn't matter. Wh- how should we be planning our business and the financials of our business? Um, the second big thing is hiring. Uh, I think a lot of companies hired incredibly fast through 20, really 17, 18 is when this started. It wasn't 2020. If you look at interest rates, it came down in 18 and I noticed valuations started popping up. And, and the frenzy began. Um, and, and when you hire so fast and then you look back now in a much harder environment, you may realize that the people you hired then that were leading certain functions aren't necessarily going to be the right people to lead you going forward in a very different environment. And so it's, it's a lot of hiring is going on at the executive level or, re- or replacing and, and shifts going on as well. You've had a number of very good exits. Uh, usually we think of, or we used to think of exits as being IPOs. Now they tend to be sales. I mean, companies have cash and they want to use that cash as opposed to just holding on to it. Uh, what's your prediction on the IPO market ahead? I mean, it feels like it's, it's, it's on the precipice of opening. There's been maybe some non-pure software companies, I believe in, in the news recently, I do think there are some pretty large, amazing companies. I don't want to make prediction on which one sure. will will break open the market, but it feels like it's, you know, if it's not imminent and maybe in the medium term, it will be open. I, you know, this whole idea about the IP more, IPO market being open or shut is a, a tad bit of a fallacy. I feel like it's more about are the businesses good enough and mm-hmm. predictable enough. I have businesses today that are 150 million plus in ARR. That's a relatively sizable business that are having a hard time forecast where they're going to be one quarter from now from a revenue perspective. How do you go public? It's, it's, it's not even about growth or profitability. It's about predictability. And when the demand environment is so uncertain, some quarters it looks good. Other quarters it looks like it's a little weak. You don't know where IT budgets are. What verticals are, are can you sell into? What verticals can you not? Um, it it, it be, makes it hard to take that company public and tell investors, here's where I'm going to be a year from now. Because if you miss on that, you're in the penalty box in the public markets for 18 months. But it does feel like, well, I said Q1 2023 was the hardest quarter I've ever seen, at least in the last 12 years. It felt like Q2 was just as hard, but at least predictably hard, if that makes sense. It makes total sense. Right? So it felt like we're hitting that trough and bottom in the small private software companies. So the bigger ones with a lot of scale, the Databricks and et cetera of the world, probably are now being able to predict going forward. And I think you're going to see companies of that ilk 
uh, probably test the public markets in the next six months or so. But I also think that it's not the it's not the end all be all. I mean, IPO is just another form of of a financing. And while it feels great and I get the emotional significance attached to it, for me, by the way, having IPOs that I've experienced with companies for founders and being at those parties, seeing those life-changing events, an M&A outcome is, is, is also fine, sure. right? It's also right. great. It's also money and money changes hands. And um, um, you may not get to control your business in the same way if you're a management team and you're being bought by a larger company. But I do think that's going to happen. I, I, I mean – just an incredible amount of M&A is going to transpire. A lot of it from larger private equity firms doing kind of growth buyouts, maybe not leverage buyouts. That's going to be a huge source of absorption from, what do we have, 1,600 unicorns today? Not all of them can go public, right? And so that, they need to get absorbed somewhere. And, and I think that's what's going to happen over the, last, over the next five to eight years or so. I really find it fascinating, honestly, sitting in my seat. It was that it was that juxtaposition point I made earlier where there is a lot of pain. There are second and third round layoffs in private software companies everywhere. But then again, in true Silicon Valley fashion, there's the thousand X ARR multiple Gen AI startups getting funded. And we're all excited about it, including me. But it's just, it's just fascinating to see that, right? And I think that's what drives a lot of the the innovation, honestly, in Silicon Valley is like you can't suppress that, right? It's just it's always going to come out, and it's just it's just a fa- it's kind of a beautiful thing in some ways too, right? And so, uh, but that for me, that's sort of top of mind is always that when you go through these downturns, how do you maintain the appropriate level of caution coupled with honestly, it needs to not just be optimism. You need to suspend disbelief at times to be in our business and believe that hey, this ten million revenue company. I think it could be 400 million someday, right? Um, that's a big leap. But in order to be successful, you need to be able to blend that perfectly over decades in your career and just to survive, if not thrive. Rajiv Dom, partner at Sapphire Ventures. Next week on Sand Hill Road. So you're at Andreessen Horowitz, and, and then you left uh, to go out on your own, which to me is a little like leaving the Golden State Warriors to go play basketball by yourself. So when I joined A16Z, it was about 100 people. Uh, when I left, it was about 500 people. Rex Salisbury quits a primo job at Andreessen Horowitz to strike out on his own. Sand Hill Road is produced by Sean Myers under the leadership of Sarah Bueno and Stephanie Adruni. For more interviews with Silicon Valley's most influential entrepreneurs, check me out on TV at Press Here. That's Sunday mornings on NBC Bay Area and everywhere in the world on iTunes and at PressHereTV.com. <laughs>